Hola, Joshua Smizer de Leon here, founder and host of the Basel podcast. Thanks for listening to the show where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community from La Isla to the diaspora. If you want to help us share the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Basel, Boricua, and Chicago and around the world, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing helps more people find the show and will help you make sure you never miss an episode. Leaving a five-star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also give a donation by looking up the Basel podcast on savechicagomedia.org. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. everyone. It's me, Joshua. Thanks for joining us on the Paseo podcast this week and happy anniversary of El Grito de Lares, which uh, for many of you that are hearing that name for the first time, it was the first major revolt against Spanish rule in Puerto Rico. Um, if you're unfamiliar, again, totally fine if you're not. It's not like they have entire chapters or even pages dedicated to something like El Grito, El Grito de Lares um, in our history books and schools. Um, so don't worry. Good news is the internet exists. Plenty of opportunities to research. Um, if you want like a little bit of a deep dive, you can check out uh, our Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we shared a bunch of details um, on this historical event uh, in our posts on, um, you know, kind of the ins and outs, uh, why it's significant um, and why it still remains a significant moment in our Puerto Rican history. You can also check out our episode from last September where we took the deep dive on what exactly El Grito de Lares was. Really quickly though, I think one detail of that revolution that really sticks out most to me is that it, it really included people across societal and economic landscapes. People living in poverty, slaves, landowners, and merchants, among others. So talk about coalition building, right? Um, this was it. And that coalition really created a revolution that terrified the, the ruling Spanish empire at the time. While it was a short-lived revolution though, it did help to usher in political parties, uh, more freedom of the press, and the abolition of slavery in Puerto Rico. I've said it before, but the power of coalition building cannot be understated. Think about how much we could accomplish in, um, in our world, in our society, and in the individual lives uh, that we could really make better if we just focused our time and energy on coalition building. And what I mean by that is building coalitions amongst uh, across class. So that's amongst working class people, uh, the working poor, and people experiencing homelessness. And uh, doing so in a way that doesn't allow uh, something like race to be weaponized by those in power in a way that's meant to divide us. It's what I and many people feel is the reason MLK was assassinated. The history books might tie it directly that uh, MLK was assassinated for his work in the civil rights movement. But it really wasn't until he started the Poor People's Campaign that he was assassinated. And you know what that campaign was doing? It was centering the public discussion and bringing attention to the economic inequalities people faced across racial lines, effectively uniting poor white, black, Latinx, and other ethnicities together to push back on the system that was oppressing them and their families. 
Same thing with the Rainbow Coalition and Fred Hampton here in Chicago. That was about creating an anti-racist, anti-class, multicultural movement that brought people together from all racial and ethnic groups. What happened to Fred Hampton? Well, you guessed it, same thing that happened to MLK. He was assassinated. In the case of Fred Hampton, uh, it was the FBI and the Chicago police that actually conspired to assassinate him. Not making this up, people. I promise you that. It's well documented, and there have been documentaries and entire films dedicated to that injustice. Definitely read up more about the Poor People's Campaign and Chairman Fred. But these examples, what these examples do, uh, is, that, is that they speak to just how powerful coalition building can be. And I think the, I think El Grito de Lares is a great example of what can happen when we work together for a common goal that helps the many and not just the few. Switching gears a little bit, I want to shout out everyone who sent us feedback on our episode a few episodes back. Uh, it was our What Did We Miss episode where we ran down the latest and greatest in Puerto Rico news. Well, uh, we're definitely going to bring that back. It was very popular. Uh, so just hang tight. We'll have another one of those soon. Uh, but in the meantime, here are some Puerto Rico news stories I recommend you look into. Number one, check out news coverage of the statehood lobbying efforts by the Puerto Rican government. Uh, they say that they're not lo lobbying efforts on behalf of statehood, but uh, the actions say differently. A former guest of the show, Andrew Padilla, has been doing some really good job on his Twitter feed distilling the news uh, that's being reported in Spanish out of PR uh, for English-speaking Boricuas here in the diaspora. So definitely give his Twitter feed a look. Number two, more than 100 organizations sent a letter in support of gender equity curriculum in public schools to the governor of Puerto Rico. So definitely look into what the purpose of that letter is, uh, what gender equity curriculum, curriculum looks like, uh, and why that's significant, why that's needed in Puerto Rican society. Number three, Puerto Rico's governor signed a bill this past Tuesday to increase Puerto Rico's minimum wage for the first time in more than 12 years. Now, what we'll see a lot when we see news stories about the, the minimum wage being raised, it really should have been raised a long time ago. It's still a good step in the right direction, but really we should be looking at close to a, a, you know, being in the $20 territory per hour for labor. Whereas a lot of these minimum wage increases you're looking at in the teens, uh, which still uh, creates a, a bit of a struggle uh, for many working people, um, especially the working poor. Uh, so again, trending in the, in the right direction. Uh, but uh, not quite the bump that I would like to see it increase to. Uh, number four, 74% of Puerto Ricans have already received at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. So that's a pretty positive trend. I think we might be in the top 10 um, in the world, maybe, or maybe it's just in the United States. I could be getting that stat wrong. But see, this is why I recommend you look into this story. Um, but good news is we're, we're trending in the right direction. But of course, you need two doses of the vaccine to be fully vaccinated unless you got the Johnson & Johnson one. Um, so again, same thing with minimum wage increase. Uh, we're trending in the right direction, but we're, we're not quite there yet. Number five, four years after Hurricanes Maria and Irma, Puerto Rico's recovery remains stalled. Constant power outages, as well as deteriorating school buildings, roads, bridges, homes, and even healthcare facilities, point to a really slow reconstruction process that has not quite picked up its pace. Former guest of the show, Nicole Acevedo from NBC News, actually wrote a really good piece on this uh, progress, or lack thereof, that I really recommend you check out. 
Another shout out I wanna give is to everyone who tuned into the panel I was on with the Chicago Public Libraries, One Book, One Chicago Initiative. I was on the panel with other independent Chicago media heavyweights like The Tribe, Injustice Watch, and City Bureau. And uh, we really had a great discussion on um, what community media is, uh, the financial, different financial models that people use, and really this overarching theme of why community media media is uh, so essential, it's so important uh, to delivering news stories, to talking about topics uh, in a way that actually resonates and is significant uh, to local communities. So if you missed it, don't worry, we'll put the, the link to it in our show notes. You can also find it on the Chicago Public Library's YouTube page and on our social media channels at Baseo Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And speaking of events, the Puerto Rican Festival begins today, uh, September 23rd through September 26th. It's been going strong for 39 years, but was once at risk of not happening in 2019 due to the committee at the time that was in charge of the festival filing for bankruptcy due to the fact that, you know, they weren't being ethical stewards of their money. So they were doing a bad job. The group of community leaders we have on today's show actually stepped up during that time to organize it successfully with less than, I, I want to say, two months, which is incredible to think of an event of that scale being uh, put together, organized, just the logistics involved uh, in such a short span of time. Um, and for context, they had to be scrappy then, and they still need to be scrappy this year, not just because of the pandemic, but because they are starting from square one. The previous committee, which we'll learn deeper in the episode, had a building called La Casa Puerto Riqueña. Uh, that was uh, located uh, right across the street from Humboldt Park where the festival takes place. This building operated as an event space where they could gain passive income from things like domino tournaments, uh, quinceañeras, you name it. They could host an event, get that passive income uh, and have that ability and had that ability uh, to really build up funds throughout the course of an entire year to host uh, the festival. Um, the committee now doesn't have that luxury, but they're not letting that stop them. So I'm excited for today's discussion because we're welcoming the Chicago Puerto Rican Festival Planning Committee to talk about how they are elevating the experience for festival goers compared to previous years, what you should keep in mind if you want to start a community event of your own for your neighborhood, and their thoughts on what it really means to be Puerto Rican. Some of the committee members you've heard on the show before, including Brianna Ramirez-Smith, uh, she's the Director of Consumer Affairs, and Marisa Diaz, she's the Director of Logistics and Operations. They've actually both been on the show in the past to talk about the organization they founded called Lolita Productions, named after Lolita Lebron. Uh, you can learn more about them by listening to our 100 Years of Lolita Lebron episode. Carlos Jimenez Flores, he's the Executive Director of the committee. Uh, he's going to be on the show as well. Uh, you can actually learn more about him in a past episode we did uh, where we interviewed him on the Boricua Film Festival, which he organized. At that time, it was in its third year. Sabrina Alicea, she's the Director of Arts and Education. She was actually interviewed in one of our early, early episodes where we talked about her experience as a Chicago public school teacher and as the creator of Shop La Maestra. And then we also welcome two newbies to the show, Melanie Lopez. She's the festival's director of branding and uh, committee member, Angie Varela. Uh, she actually joins the conversation a little later in the episode. So really happy to have this many guests on the show. It's probably the most guests we've had uh, simultaneously in one interview. 
Um, but one thing I would like you to keep in mind as you listen to this episode, the crew paused their festival work just to be on the show. So most of them were sharing the same computer and you might hear a bit of a distant echo. We tried our best to, to edit it so uh, it's a little bit easier on the ears. Uh, so hopefully it's not too distracting. Um, okay, let's jump into the interview. Thank you all for making the time to get here. I know it's not easy uh, for one person to normally plan their schedules. Y'all had to make five different schedules work to be here. So I just want to start high level view. When and where is the Puerto Rican festival taking place this year in Chicago? So the festival this year is uh, September 23rd to the 26th. We are hosting um, two private events on the 23rd, I'm sorry, four, on the 23rd and the 24th here at the Fields House in Humble Park. Um, and then the actual festival is going to be Saturday, uh, September 25th and Sunday, September 26th. Um, the entrance is going to be on Division and Madding Drive. So did I hear that correctly? So it's going to start in the field house the first couple days and then the festival is taking place in the park that weekend? Correct. Backing up a little bit, for people that come to the festival starting on September 23rd, you know, what can people expect when they walk into the events you're having um, all four days? You know, what can people expect when they walk into Humble Park for the Puerto Rican Festival this year? On Thursday and Friday, we're going to be at the field house having uh, what we call private dinners where people will buy a ticket to come to the dinner. The dinner itself will be in the main ballroom. We have permission, yes. Chef Roberto Perez of Urban Pilon, who's an executive chef at La Criolla, and he will be the one that will make the feast happen. Yes. And then in the gyms, we will have Lolita's uh, Bodega and Somos Arte. We're also gonna have um, films from the Bolivar Film Festival, and we're gonna have some live music as well. The event is um, on the 23rd and the 24th. It's called Fuego del 23 y 24. Um, and it's really to cater to a smaller crowd of people. The goal of these events is to only have a capacity of 50 people and for them to be able to enjoy the festival without having to be around large crowds. Because we also understand that is still very prevalent and we want to be able to still offer um to those who might be just kind of worthy of like you know being with a lot of people so those events are um, capped at 50. we have two sites two spots every evening of two hours so that um event you come in you'll be able to have some food watch some films watch some live art um shop from local creatives and vendors um, and then there's also going to be COVID checking. Growing up in Humble Park, the Puerto Rican festival was, you know, you just kind of walk uh, to the park, um, carnival, of course, music, live music, food. Um, it, it didn't really feel as, as expansive as I think it could have been. Um, and looking at you as, a, as the new leadership committee of the festival you know, this year, at, well, and uh, the last festival, you know, what would you say are the biggest differentiators um, for people that have gone since they were kids um, to going to this year's event? 
And you've touched on it a number of times, but just to kind of give people a sense of what existed before and what's different going into this year. When I thought about the festival and people would come, it felt like a lot of Puerto Ricans in one place, right? And so you might have Puerto Rican food and maybe some vendors, but this, the thing that we're trying to do is be more intentional with culture. So we are being intentional about the vendors that Lolita production brings in. We're being intentional about bringing in artists who are Puerto Rican and who celebrate the culture and heritage, the music. Everything is way more intentional about centering culture with everything that we do. That's how I feel. And the variances of culture, I think, are is important as well. Uh, before it was just music and food, right? And then we had vendors that were artisanos, artisans, um, but they were kind of marginalized. And I think that we're trying to bring back what the culture actually is, which is music as in bomba. Um, where we are going to have car clothes, we're going to have a car show, which is part of Humble Park culture and the island culture. The music is artists direct from PR, um, the vendors themselves, it's all about 90% all small businesses or artesanos. So we're not focusing on those who go from fest to fest and we don't knock their hustle at all. But what you're spending on something that's made in China, you could really support a family here that is working hard to just follow their dreams. I wanted to add one more thing, and on top of that, really also bringing education mm -hmm. uh, to the forefront of what it is that we're providing in the community, that the festival act as a resource, not just, um, it's not just a party. Even though we, we're really great at that. <laughs> and we like it. And we like it, <laughs> trust me. Um, but it's also like when you enter, you're not only going to be experiencing the live art or be able to see creatives create right there and then, um, hear music, taste the food, but having workshops. And so all the nonprofits that are participating um, are providing a free community workshop to those who are, who are entering into the festival. And so we're going to be utilizing Little Wrigley to be able to hold baseball clinics and soccer clinics and um, get dispersed information. And there's going to be college, um, college information, high school information, trade information. So all levels. And so if there's going to be something for everybody to enjoy. And also we're bringing the film component to the festival, uh, which we did not get to do in 2019 because it rained every night. Um, but we're going to bring films from Puerto Rico, short films. Um, that people can just sit down, watch something that's 5, 10, 20 minutes long, and then they're not like stuck in front of a, a screen for two hours. It's more like short films, so it can be like a hit and run. And we have the program, so they'll know which movie they want to see. They'll see it and, you know, and keep moving. We, we offer a lot in our festival. I really love hearing you guys talk about the festival because you can tell there's a lot of passion and care for the festival. Um, I don't think... I don't think you would see or we would see the amount of effort being put into, you know, kind of elevate the experience for all demographics of, of, of Puerto Ricans that attend and just Chicagoans that attend. What made you want to step into a leadership role to actually make the festival happen? Because a bit of context for, for people listening, there was a, a point where the festival wasn't going to go on. Um, there was uh, some legal issues that the, the previous committee 
uh, came under. The bigger thing was for the community was that we might not have the festival. So y'all kind of jumped in, put the capes on, put this thing together. So what made you all want to jump in and be leaders and uh, make sure that the event actually happened the, the last time? Um, and what's making you continue today? When the previous committee um, basically filed for bankruptcy and lost the building, um, you know, along with it, the building, the parade, and the festival went down the drain. And so we knew that the community, the community needed the festival because this was staple. You know, uh, people look forward to, especially the first big event after a long winter. And I think this is a tradition. At this point, not having the festival would be, I mean, I, I don't know, it would be crazy, it would be insane. Um, and so not only was it put together in a short time with a great team uh, that you see here in front of you, uh, we also didn't have any money. So there was no budget. And to it's been a struggle to scrape up the little we can and to, to create what has been created. Um, and we're battling many different things. You know, we don't have a home. It's not like we have our Casa Puerto Rican where we can meet. Right now we're meeting in the field house at the park. Um, so we don't have a home. Um, we started with no money in the budget. So, I mean, it's a big steep mountain to climb. And there's no way, I can't think of a different set of people to come together to make it happen. I just can't, it just, you know, who's here is here because they want to be here. This is all voluntary. Nobody's making any money. And we put so much time into this that it's literally a full-time job. And it is so, so, so difficult. I can't stress that enough, but I don't want to hog up the airtime. <laughs> so uh, I'll, whichever way you guys want to go. But. I think for me, what made me want to, um, you know, be alongside Carlos when he was, um, you know, presented with the opportunity to be the executive director of the festival. And when he told me, like, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in doing? Um, the little kid in me was like, yeah! Like, <laughs> um, I mean, like, my dad used to work as a carnival, a carny, one of the carnies, that the local carny, every time the festival would come into town. And so I remember as a child being able to see the setup of the carnival and running around the carnival area um looking for the tickets and getting on rides for free because i you know my dad worked there and they would let me like hop on a ride um and so see and then growing up and coming to the festival rihanna and i would you know go since we were able to you know get here on our own we would uh frequent the festival and so to be able to see it over an extended period of time, then to have an opportunity to really bring something new and different um, because I felt like we deserve more, deserve to be elevated and progress as, you know, as we all have as Puerto Ricans. Um, it's just been an honor and a pleasure and it has been difficult. I have my days and my moments, but um, at the same time, it's just to be able to give back to the community is, is a beautiful thing and hopefully it, uh, motivates younger people to also want to become involved and bring forth their talents 
and ideas and want to contribute because it's not just us. It's not just for us, for everybody. I think for me, it was a, a FOMO moment where Carlos said he was doing it. Marissa was like, I'm doing it. And then I, I literally remember the day after, after an, a meeting, an agenda meeting, I went up to Carlos and I was like, I'm not in. And he was like, okay. And it, it does, it's a sense of nostalgia. Being Puerto Rican um, and growing up in a neighborhood that is not fully Puerto Rican is um, coming to the Puerto Rican festival allowed me to really celebrate pieces of me that did not get celebrated and that I had to tone down because I grew up in Lakeview and we were the loud people on the block. And coming to the fest here, I was home. I was able to be myself and be loud and celebrate my culture. Everyone was just as proud as me or even more so. And um, it gave me a sense of belonging that I didn't have and to be able to to be on a team to, to bring that forth when it's in, in you know in danger of being lost. I didn't I couldn't pass by an opportunity to not participate. I don't even think I could like say one thing that made me everything that everybody said feels very familiar. Um and it's also like I, I personally do things when I feel like they have a reason or for, like if they align with my morals and my values. Some of the things I value the most are my, like my culture is huge. That's a, that's a big part of my life and my home. And I realized that when I moved out of Chicago and I was like, oh, wow, I really am a Chicago Puerto Rican because I don't feel like I fit in anywhere else except for here. Um, and it's true. <laughs> and, um, and I value education and education is huge and education is all the different ways that, that we can be educated or educate ourselves. And being part of the festival is the opportunity to provide access to education and culture to our community and to celebrate it. I don't feel like Puerto Ricans, um, we're not celebrated very often when people hear about us, it's like, things that are happening on the island and it's and this second class citizenship that happened and all of us that are here are here because our families had to in, for some reason or another and uprooted everything and came over here um and so a moment to stop and be like wow our culture is really great our people are great we we can do so many amazing things that's why i wanted to be a part of it um so I started as a volunteer in 2019. Um, I met the amazing jefas that you see um, sitting at the table with Carlos and I kind of just like stuck around. <laughs> Became one of those like, well, Mel's here. Um, but I just, uh, I love doing things when I'm not at work. Like I have to constantly be doing something. And my intention um, as I've gotten older is to do more community work, even though I've always done that. Um, and so this amazing team that I've been um, asked to be a part of has been so much fun. Um, the social media aspect has been, I don't even know how to describe it. It's been a very interesting. Um, it's pushed me to a different level of like a structure for myself, um, but it's mostly like learning a lot about the culture. And that's what my biggest takeaway from this year has been. Um, Cause like I said, in 2019, I was volunteering and then I was um, brought on this year as the director of branding. And it's been extremely fun though. Like today I just got off a call with another influencer that we're gonna have 
um, take over the page. So seeing that the platform has grown on a social media level has been exciting because it's grown into a page of like community, which I didn't know it was going to take that route. Um, but it's so much fun to see that it's going that way because then now we're able to expand that platform to other Puerto Ricans, not just in Chicago, but nationwide and on the island. Um, so whoever's been following and seeing like the Takeover Tuesdays with the different um, influencers or businesses that are owned by Puerto Ricans or just like even the on the Black Fridays, like we want to use that platform to support and to get everybody excited for the festival. So that's why I love being on this team because I'm so supported by everybody on the team with every decision that I make when it comes to social media. Thanks for sharing all those candid thoughts, y'all. Um, I will say that I regularly follow the Insta account. Um, always liking stuff. Actually, I've used it for a couple of guest ideas for the show too. So keep up the great work. Um, when it comes to like planning this thing, I mean, this is uh, this feels like it would. It, it's it's a behemoth. A um, lot of moving pieces, especially as you look to as you as your goal is to kind of expand um, what the festival experience is uh, beyond what people may have experienced a generation ago. Um, what would you say has been uh, one of your biggest challenges when organizing the festival? And it can just be one or two that you feel are you know, some of your tops. I know there's a lot. <laughs> My, <laughs> Marissa's making it rain. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like, everything, everything that these women bring to the table is, like, phenomenal, okay? The problem is we have no budget. We have no budget, we have no home. So we have to find places to meet, whether it's somebody's house, whether it's the park itself, somebody's office, we're, we're, we struggle a lot. Sometimes we meet in the parking lot. So the thing is without money, it's like, we have so many great ideas that we can't even implement half of them because we just don't have money. I can't stress that enough. And I know that you know, people are going to feel some type of way with us charging at the gate, but there's no other way to raise money for next year. You understand? And so if people have a little patience and, and see that the money's going right back to the community, you know what I'm saying? This is not for anybody, but for the community itself. And we do so much, not only individually, not only as a cohesive unit, but there's also smaller compartments to, to the festival committee itself, like Lolita Productions, like Somos Arte, like the Bolivar Film Festival, you know, and, and it's almost like a transformer. And, and so if we just can get over the hump of the financial situation, we would be mega dangerous. <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's, you, you touched on, you touched on something really quickly that I, uh, find fascinating the debate that I've seen online with a lot of people in the Puerto Rican community here in Chicago, and it is charging at the gate. You know, what would you say, understanding, you know, where you're coming from with the budget, um, what would you say to someone that critiques the festival for having an entrance fee this year? Um, you know, can you shine a bit of light on what it going back into the community means? There's two points to make. Number one, we didn't start, we weren't the first to charge because in 2018, the festival did charge $2 at the gate. It doesn't sound like a lot of money, but we started that. So then up in 2019 with $5. And then this year, it'll be a little bit more. 
Um, so we really start that. It was started before us, but we weren't going to go backwards. Um, the second thing, when it comes to festivals in the city, for example, the Cuban festival or the Colombian festival, their fees to enter those festivals are $20 and higher. 75% of the attendees are Puerto Rican. Let's just be honest. So it's not that our people can't afford it because they're going to these festivals and they're sustaining entities that are for profit. And here we are, an entity that is non-profit. And so the money that we get, not only are we generating like resources and connecting the community with so many different outlets for positivity so that we can impact the negativity that's going on in our neighborhoods. That's the only way to battle the violence and the poverty and the lack of education, right? So for us, what we get, we put back 100%. That's it. So I would love to do like a little fast forward and peek into the future where I can see where we're at in three years, seven years, 11 years. I mean, we're literally gonna just impact the whole community and beyond just with what we're doing. I think that people also fail to realize that there's a cost associated with growing a festival. So there's there's fees to use the park. There's and this happens all over the city. The fees to use the park. There's fees for fencing. There's a cost associated with um, even having security. And because we're in Humble Park, security is heightened, um, and we have to pay for off-duty security. Off-duty cops become security for the festival. That's a fee. Um, even you know the performers, and while sponsorship covers stuff, so does a, a charging a fee at the gate. That's the reason why you pay twenty dollars to go to the Cuban Fest. Is because they're having all of those fees associated with with it. And previously, the organization um, was able to not charge because of other things they're doing in the background, like the sponsorship or, or things getting late. But that's not that's not a, a a model that we can sustain consistently. In order for us to be able to do what we do, we have to charge. And it really is going right back into covering the cost of the fest. I also want to add that um, what we don't have that previous committees had is Casa Puerto Riqueña. Because understand that before, since Casa Puerto Riqueña existed, the Puerto Rican committee, the festival committee can do uh, events all year round. They rented Casa Puerto Riqueña for quinceañeras and banquets and stuff like that. So they were generating money all year round to then throw the festival. That's why the festival was free because everything was handled, not only with the money that was generated from Casa Puerto Riqueña, but also sponsors and other stuff. That's why the festival used to be free. We don't have that luxury. We just don't. We don't have Casa Puerto Riqueña. We cannot host anything all year round. Yes. And so we get. <laughs> so thank you, Diana. So we have to be creative um, with the little bit of money that we do generate. No, I hear you. And that's a that's a great point. The the fact that you're having a steady stream of revenue of passive income can make all the difference in trying to build out that budget. Um, when you... If someone was listening and said, well, I don't mind paying a fee and when I walk into the festival, um, but, you know, I'd like to give more, I'd, whether that's time, talent, treasure, 
you know, one, is there a way that people can volunteer so it's not all falling on the committee's shoulder? And two, if someone wanted to give like a, a, a financial uh, donation, is there a system in place for people to do that if they wanted to give something in kind? So um, a great source would be our website, um, prfeshchicago.com. And on there, if they wanted to do anything in kind, there's an application that they could fill out. We have applications and documentation for every single um, entity that is participating. If you want to become a volunteer, there's also a volunteer link that people um, can fill out and sign up to become a volunteer. You just get uh, free entrance for the day of your of your um, your volunteership. Um, and also I believe really food and shirt as well. So there, there are perks for volunteering. We also get put on an awesome volunteer list so that way you can join us for other future, um, <laughs> future uh, opportunities to give back to the community. And so, we're, I mean, we're always welcome. You can also find us on any of the social medias. Um, you obviously see Mel, the person behind that. Mm -hmm. She'll get you connected with the right people if you want to do any of those things that you just mentioned. Hey there. We want to take a moment to thank our partners, the Puerto Rican Cultural Center of Chicago and the Chicago Independent Media Alliance for their support. This show would not be possible without them. And shout out to our amazing podcast team. Learn more about them and the show by visiting our website, baseomedia.org. Enjoy the rest of the show. I want to talk about another misconception. Um, and I think in any event, whenever you get a large group of people together, you know, there's a chance that something bad might happen. Um, but it feels like when there's media coverage of Humble Park, you know, it's definitely done through a lens of, you know, the, the neighborhood's too violent or the Puerto Rican festival specifically is too violent um, or it's dangerous. You know, what would you say to, to someone that is hesitant to go to the festival this year because they're afraid of violence? And again, I, I asked that not saying that it doesn't exist, but... What would you say to somebody that that's their main deterrent? I mean, we, we are actively working with the Chicago Police Department, um, the mayor's office, and also local community um, organization, organization called Also and Build um, to provide a safer neighborhood um, experience uh, to the festival, not just during the festival, for, but also before and after the festival as well. And so we are... Um, yeah, I mean, we're doing our part, but it also requires the community to to also take ownership because we're just, as you see, you know, my people here at the table and um, if people are concerned about community um, violence and, and they live in the community, then they should take a more active role in trying to figure out how to help solve the problem instead of complaining about it. And honestly, is it going to be that much different than what you would normally see? It's just that we're going to bring, we're going to bring more resources together in a specific part of the neighborhood. Yeah, what we're, what we're doing at the festival is bringing together things that already exist. So all of these organizations that Marissa's talking about, they're doing work here in Humboldt Park. They exist and they work within the community. The festival is just one event that will bring those things together. Um, and I always think of that phrase, like, be the change. If you want to see something like better, then do better and be better. And your presence 
will help change that narrative and that perspective. We're all very big on social media. Mel is, is the one that's in charge of for the festival, but we're huge because that is our existence sharing those things counters the narrative of what it means to be who we are and to be where we're from. So I think also to add to add to that, we all do events here in this neighborhood consistently. Uh, Marissa and I do bodegas three times a month in the heart of Humble Park. Sabrina and Somos the Somos Active team does stuff in this neighborhood. Carlos has done things in this neighborhood. He's coached and worked at a school as has Marissa. So we're all we're all actively being the change that people want to see, right? Um, you need to explore the neighborhood and not necessarily uh, target it or picture paint it with the, the brush of what's happening in isolated events as opposed to consistently. Because I live in this neighborhood and I have, I don't have any. So one thing I would like to add value to is the fact that. You know, let's be honest, um, we're, we have a huge target on us as a community. And let me tell you something, there are more arrests at a Wrigley Field baseball game for the clubs than there is in Humble Park. Just being honest. And so, but that doesn't get the play. That doesn't get news. And every time something happens, let's say we know that Costner is not even close to us. If something happens on Augusta and Costner, what does the news say? It happened in Humble Park. You understand? So there's a perception and the media is responsible for it that Humble Park is so violent. And it's not that. It's that anything, it's not even the spinning, anything remotely close is going to be labeled Humble Park. They don't have to say that. They don't have to say that. They don't do that for Wrigley Field. They don't do that for Bucktown. What they say is Damon and, and, and North Avenue. Or they'll say Levin. And, and, and Schiller, but they're not going to say fuck time. You understand me? Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's exactly right. I think anytime you paint a whole community with a broad brush or only attribute a certain type of action to one community, you're acting in bad faith. Um, and unfortunately, uh, our our, our media, our mainstream media, I mean, even a, a lot of times, local media often gets it wrong um, and paints and paints and writes with generalizations, um, and it's it's really problematic. Um, so I know I, I, I hear you all on that. Um, looking at other people listening that you know are hearing the effort you're putting into the Puerto Rican festival, you know, what would you what advice would you give uh, to someone that wants to start a Puerto Rican festival somewhere else in the diaspora uh, in the US or maybe someone that just wants to start a festival in their community? Hold on, hold on, hold on. So you want us to give you <laughs> recipe. Creating a festival—that's what you're saying. I—I want to—I want you, and you can. It can be a high-level thing. It can be what traits. Mm -hmm. It can be like what traits should someone have? What type of mindset should you have if you want to have a festival? You don't have to give us the the secret sauce. You don't have to show. You know, go into too too much detail. But yeah, what advice would you give? No trade secrets. Uh, so. I can share a couple that just kind of popped in my head would be replicate those who are already doing the work because the team will form itself and everybody will show up and they'll provide and want to do the work. Um, if it's not a one person show, and nor should it be. And you should have people also on your team that challenge you, that don't that you don't always think alike. 
um, that have different um, age, right, and perspectives and experiences. And that in itself with whatever it is that you do when it comes to doing large events, whether a Puerto Rican festival or just any type of gathering um, in your in your community will work itself out. That's Okay, so I want to add that in. <laughs> so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say fire. I want to give you flavors of Dr. Pepper, but I'll give you Here's the thing, like Marissa so eloquently said, you know, I learned from my mentor, Dr. Samuel Betances, a long time ago, he said, if you're sitting at the table and everybody looks the same and thinks the same, you're doing it wrong. If you're sitting at the table and everybody looks different, but they think the same, you're still doing it wrong. So we are a committee that looks different and thinks different. And that's okay, because that's where, that's, I mean, if we had a secret sauce, I think that's what it is. It, it's the diversity of thought. If you don't have that, you're, you're gonna crash. You're not, you're not gonna go anywhere. You're gonna be stagnant. The second big piece is that we were already in the community doing work. So anybody who wants to do a festival in their community, if you're not already plugged in, then- And you shouldn't do a festival in that community. <laughs> Met with opposition, in other words. And so this is this is what happens when you work together for so long. You just finish each other's up. That's that. That's the synchronicity, and we got to have that. We got to have that. You want to do a festival? Plug in. Plug or call in. us. Or call well, us. Call us. Or a piece. Hey, that's a that's a yeah, hey, that's a money generator. We will be consultants to anyone who wants to start a Puerto Rican festival in the diaspora. We're here. Yeah, we gotta be already plugged in. You gotta be plugged in. Okay, <laughs> onto something there. <laughs> uh, I love that. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Um, I want to acknowledge that we have a member that walked in. Her name is Angie. Okay. Come here, just, just, just smile. Just smile. Come here. Come here. That's Angie, y'all. That's Angie. Hey. Hey. We've talked a lot about the festival. I'd like to, we've touched on it a little bit, um, but I'd love for you all to share where people can find more information about the festival itself. I know you're on social media, you have the website, um, but if you could just give us the rundown of what all those handles and, and the, the website URL is, uh, I think it would be great for, for people to be aware. So social media handles, Facebook, which is Carlos's favorite platform, it is <laughs> PR Fest Chicago. Everything's PR Fest Chicago. So Facebook, Instagram, and then the website is prfestchicago.com. And that's going to give you a rundown on everything. Um, the applications, because we are still accepting applications for vendors um, and artisans. And then also Somos Arte, because they have um, their own section um, to for the call of artists for that as well. So there's and excuse me, Lolita Productions and Las Las Lolitas for um, Bodega for also to see how you can be a part of the Bodega experience. 
We talked about the festival. Um, to wrap up our conversation uh, for this week's episode, would love to get all your perspectives on a new question we're asking people. Uh, we used to ask people what Puerto Rican food, what Puerto Rican restaurant they really like to go to in their neck of the woods. This year we're asking people, what does being Puerto Rican mean to them? Uh, and that's really inspired by people's Boricua's, Boricua cards being called, uh, very much inspired by the Jasmine Camacho Quinn uh, coverage of people questioning uh, her Boricuanes for not uh, being born on La Isla, not speaking Spanish fluently. Um, so I, I just would love to give you all that space to share what being Puerto Rican means to you all. Um, and I'm thinking, Melanie, maybe we start with you and then we'll go to Sabrina next. Awesome. Um, so I'm a Puerto Rican and I'm Mexican. Um, my father is um, Puerto Rican. Um, he was raised in Chicago, born in Chicago, but um, his other siblings were raised on the island. And so growing up, um, but the Maititis were here. And so growing up, it was just um, tradition to always spend a Saturday by my Didi's house with all my cousins growing up and the, the music and the food. And it was just, it's beautiful. And as I gotten older, I've just really wanted to um, dive deep into my roots on my Puerto Rican and my Mexican side. And being a part of this committee and having these friendships, because we are friends outside of this beautiful committee, um, they've pushed me to really um, dig deep and really want to know what it is to be Puerto Rican and especially a Chicago Puerto Rican at that. Like there's so many layers to being Puerto Rican at this point. Um, so I'm just very proud. I'm proud to carry my Wello's uh, last name because it stops with me. My um, father is the only boy out of nine sisters and I'm the only child. Um, so I carry that last name Lopez very proudly because I know that it's a very dominant and common name of Puerto Ricans um, and Latinos in general because I know there's Mexicans that carry the name and but I know that mine comes from the island and so I'm just so prideful of the music, the culture, um, everything that embodies um, being Puerto Rican is just beautiful. And so this journey and this um, part of my life of being a part of this uh, once in a lifetime experience has definitely made an impact. And that's why I love being Puerto Rican. I joke, because I came to this realization that as a Puerto Rican, I am like the Cubarito. I was made in Chicago with Puerto Rican inspiration and places, right? That's, that's what I am. So I'm very much a Chicago Puerto Rican. When I left here and I went to LA, I was hanging around um, in their, their Latino areas. It was very Mexican and very Central and South American. And it was food I didn't recognize. Um, so then I was like, wow, this, it just made me feel more rooted in, in who I am. Um, and part of being a Chicago Puerto Rican and being in the neighborhoods we grew up in too, there's inspiration from other cultures that also made us. When I was in Boston, I met other Puerto Ricans from the island and they had no idea what an elote was. And I thought that was a really sad thing that they didn't know. And every Chicago Puerto Rican knows what that is, right? So our experience is very unique. It's very special to me. And no one can take that from me. It's, it's just what I know to be true with myself. I guess it's mostly just embracing of like food and the culture and the music and like I don't speak Spanish fluently but I know every word to every single song that we grew up and listening to at my grandma's house you know um it's hanging out on my grandmother's front porch with my family it's making sure that we keep those things always like my baby cousins and I do it now we make sure to like 
you know, meet up and do the same things that we did growing up. So it's just kind of keeping with that. I don't know. I think, yeah, it's just, we've lived here our whole lives. Like we're from the neighborhood. We think literally it's a beautiful thing. And like, it's all about embracing it and keeping those like traditions alive. <clears throat> I'm glad that I'm next only because I'm going to get serious and then Marissa and Brianna can just like bring it back to the, to the fun. Okay. Um, I'm going to connect my answer to what you mentioned about the Olympian, uh, Jasmine Camacho. So I'm going to say two quick things. Number one, I have a niece who is in the army, active. She made that her career. At one point, she was stationed in Germany. In Germany, she got married. She had a baby in Germany. But that baby is American. Why? Because the United States says that it doesn't matter that the baby was born in Germany. She was part of the army and she was on the base. Okay? So geography doesn't determine who you are, okay? As how you identify yourself or even legally uh, by race or whatever. The other example is I have a friend whose father was a banker for the Bank of Hawaii. And at one time he was transferred to Thailand to, to uh, work the branch over there and set up that banking system in Thailand because they were expanding. He had his wife go with him and they had a child because they were in Thailand for two years. So I have a friend who was born in Thailand, but he's American. Why? Because the United States legally says that even if you're born outside of the US, your first two years, they could already register you as an American citizen because you just happen to be born abroad, but that's not who you are. So he's not Thai, he's American. And that's very important because there's always been this debate that if you're not born on the island, you're not Puerto Rican. And that's just BS. Because if legally, I just give you two examples of why that's not true for Americans, then why is it true for us? Why do we do that to ourselves? Because let me tell you something, a percentage of the island believes in statehood. So why does it matter if anybody was born in the United States? We're here because the United States is in Puerto Rico. We didn't ask for that. We're doing just fine. We fought for our freedom for 30 years, from 1868 to 1898. Empezando con el Grito de Lares, which is already next week on the 23rd. You understand me? So it's like we fought. We had our own currency for four months. And the United States took advantage of the crippling Spanish army that we wore down because we're fierce. And they invaded Puerto Rico knowing that they could take over Spain and all its properties on this side of the world. That's what happened. We already had our own currency. I don't have to be born in Puerto Rico to be Puerto Rican. Como dice Correjel, hasta en la luna. Si nazco en la luna, soy boricua. My shirt, Puerto Rico, mi sangre. My blood determines who I am. Everybody here, 
in this car, everybody here has Puerto Rican blood. Don't talk to me about where I was born. That's irrelevant. What happens if my mother was pregnant and she was on a flight somewhere and, and, and the child is born out in the air? What, what are they then? This wasn't here. It's what's running through my veins. That's what determines who I am. You got me ready to go to a protest. <laughs> Man. Oh, you got me fired up now. My goodness. No, I, I, I think that's absolutely right. I appreciate that, Carlos. So, to, um, to add on to that, I'm really thinking about what, what does being Puerto Rican mean to me. Um, it means all of these experiences and it's unfortunate, but it's also like, it makes me, it, it makes me want to know more about it because it's questioned so often. And so lately, um, I would say within the last like three years, I've made it more of an effort to not only know the history, but the meaning and really dig deep into like, where, where does my family come from? What parts of the island does my family exist? And according to Ancestry.com, I, I am Taina. I do have Taino blood in me. And that's beautiful. But I also have, you know, Spaniard blood. And I also have blood in, from Portuguese. And so, like, my name actually comes from Spain. And so that it's just understanding all of those things, that the complexities of what the world was that got me to be here in Chicago, right? It's not just that my mom had to leave for better opportunity because of the, the current state of, of Puerto Rico, but it's also the history behind all of that as well, all the way to the Tainos. And that's what being Puerto Rican means to me. Like, I enjoy everything that everyone else said to a T and then taking that a, a level deeper and like, okay, what does it really mean? What is Puerto Rican? And I'm hoping that that it challenges other people to want to do the same as well, because it's it's more than just music and food. It is culture in the sense of art. It is culture in the in the sense of you know your creativity. It's and that's why what we're doing with the festival is so important to even just our own personal journeys of understanding this very important question that you just asked right now. Um, and we're hoping that that's what what you all seek to. So that's what. Wow. So that so this is all I gotta follow up all of that. <laughs> um so for me, being half Puerto Rican and half white, um it this part this question has come up a lot, right? Like, are you Puerto Rican enough? And it's it's that famous saying I've always felt that way um until I visited the island. There is a pull that the island has for me and that, or to me, that I get nowhere else. Being on the ancestral land of my grandmother, who I literally, her home is where her family has existed for generations, like people I don't even know, has rooted me and strengthened me in a way that I never thought possible. So if you have to ask me how I know I'm Puerto Rican, it's that I get my strength from Puerto Rico, and that has come through the side of my grandmother, who, yes, had to leave because of lack of opportunity, but did not want to, 
And every chance she got, she went back to Puerto Rico because that was her love and her peace and her joy. And as an adult, sitting there and being able to sit on her porch and watch the sunset or the sunrise and hearing the way that people there care for each other. I don't care if I'm from the Viajera. I'm Puerto Rican. Like, I, it's, I've been told that when I go home to Puerto Rico, I am softer. I am a different person. And if that, if some, a place can make you feel that way and make you act that way and make you be a better person, then you're from there and that's home. And so you can't take that from me. This is like my favorite question ever asking on the podcast. Um, I, I um, think if I've heard anything uh, or gotten anything out of your responses, it's that the Puerto Rican festival is in good hands. Um, you all are coming to this, I think, with the right mindset, the right energy, the right passion, and the, the right um, mentality of an open arm mindset where it's less hierarchical and more of a wicker basket mentality where we're all interconnected and we all have a part to play and we all have different gifts uh, that we can bring to the table to really elevate the experience for our people, for our community. Um, so really appreciative of you all being on um, today. You, you did mention that uh, you all are pretty active on social media. Uh, so would love it if, if you feel comfortable, if you want to share how people can keep up with each of you on a social media channel that you have or social media channels that you have. Just want to give you the space to kind of share how people can keep up with you um, beyond just the, the Puerto Rican festival. So just opening up the floor to whoever. Just make sure you say your name first before going into your handles. So I'm Brianna Jimenez. You can find me as Bodega Bree on Instagram um, and also find our community pop-up market, Bolitas Bodega on Instagram as well, as well as Facebook. My name is Marissa Diaz Arce. You can find me on Facebook under Marissa Diaz Arce. Arce um, Instagram is Marisa, and I also run the last underscore Lolitas seven seven three account on Instagram. So Carlos Jimenez Flores on Facebook, but I also have Instagram, and it's still my name, but underscore in between the names, and I use my whole name because I got a mama. <laughs> I mean, I run the Somos Active like Instagram mostly all day long. So you can find me on Somos Active Chicago on Facebook too. We're super responsive. Awesome. Um, my name is Sabrina Vicana. You can find me at Esna Maestra if you like hugs and and education. <laughs> and education. Literature. I will if you if I see anything about books, I'll talk to you. I have people taking screenshots with different books I need to I love education. I'm known to go on rants about education every once in a while, so that's what you'll find. Um my name is Melanie and you can find me on Instagram as iGonchita. Uh, if you want to find the latest places to find and support Latino and brown-owned businesses, please hit me up. I will tell you where to go because that's just where we got to invest our money. We got to invest it back into the community. And that is my passion um, and my drive when it comes to my Instagram and seeing all my friends. And Melanie, while I have you on the mic there, can you also, again, just drop how people can keep up with the festival website and social media channels one more time? Yes. So our website is prfestchicago.com. Facebook is PRFestChicago. Instagram is PRFestChicago. 
Chicago, and we're not on Twitter or TikTok yet. It's a whole nother platform. Anybody want to be an intern for the TikTok of the festival, please hit us up ASAP because I have no capacity. TikTokers are a whole other generation. I am in my 30s and I can sit there and watch them. But to do that, y'all in your 20s and like early teens have gotten that TikTok down. And if y'all want to be a volunteer intern, please. This is serious. This is a serious plug, though. I would love to see the, the festival on TikTok. Um I just don't have the capacity to do that. Like I, I just, my ADHD would just get the best of me and I'll never finish the video. But if anybody definitely wants to do that, that is something that we would love to have as an addition to this year's festival. Awesome. I know how you feel on the TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I stopped using Instagram for two months. And then when I got back on, it took me five minutes to figure out how to post a photo. I felt so old. TikTok is like way out of my hemisphere. Um, but hopefully podcast gets on there one day too. Okay, y'all, you have been so generous with your time. I wish you all nothing but success and, um, you know, good luck. Thank you. See ya. That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know, podcast at gmail.com or at podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On our next episode, we're going to welcome the founders of the Honeycomb Network, which is a multifunctional community space based on uh, Baseo Boricua in Humboldt Park that offers holistic co-working and co-creating space where BIPOC leaders, teachers, artists, healers, and learners can build, grow, and sustain their dreams. So definitely uh, hang tight because uh, that's going to be an interview you're definitely going to want to listen to. It's actually going to be another on-site interview, so that's pretty exciting. So you'll get to see a little bit of the Honeycomb Network um, when we drop the YouTube version of the interview uh, the week that episode drops. Don't forget, you can support the show by following us on social media, including our YouTube channel, and by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing and leaving a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts really helps more people find the show, and showing some love in the comments also helps too. Um, it's good to know that people listen. It's good to know that what we're doing resonates with people. So if you like what you hear, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, as always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a news story you'd like us to discuss on the show, visit our website, paseomedia.org, to do just that. See you in two weeks. Cuídate.